0: Deck, what do you have for breakfast today?
1: I didn't have any breakfast because I do intermittent fasting, but I did chug a banana and almond butter smoothie before I got here.
0: <laughs> You've been in the way for too long.
1: It's not, you know what, I, I, it's not an active, jo- <clears throat> active choice to intermittent fast. I just genuinely don't eat breakfast. And yeah. then, this was before intermittent fasting was a thing. And then I was like, oh, I guess I enter a minute.
0: So wait, the 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 idea is to stay 12 hours without eating anything, right? Between dinner the day before and then lunch the following day? Or how does it work?
1: I eat the first meal of the day at like 1 p.m. And then I'll like eat nothing again until dinner. But I'll have dinner at like 8.30, 9. Mm-hmm. And I'll have a massive dinner. And then I won't eat again until like 1 p.m. Apart from black coffee in the morning.
0: And you feel like you don't have any lack of energy in the mornings at all
1: no first thing i do is i I work out empty stomach just coffee maybe a celsius
0: was that to lose weight initially or to get more lean was that the initial intention
1: no the initial intention was laziness to begin with (laughs) (laughs) and not and not (laughs) kicking breakfast and being like you can go without (laughs) (laughs) and then my body got used to it
0: (laughs) um hey everyone welcome to the dilly dally podcast uh We've got today Declan Laird with us, uh, all the way from Scotland, an old friend of mine for about a decade, uh, which is a lot in LA. A long time. Um, We both uh, made our way across the Atlantic uh, from Europe, and uh, Declan is an actor and is joining us today on the podcast. What's going on, dude? How are you?
1: Very happy to be here. We have known each other a long time. Is it 10
0: years, though? Like nine, probably. Like nine? Like Uh, 2014?
1: Yeah, 2014. 2013, a long time. It is, in Los Angeles terms, that's like three decades. I
0: know. <laughs> and we're still friends.
1: Yeah, barely, <laughs> but we're hanging on.
0: Thanks. <laughs> we'll start with a couple of easier questions. Okay. Um, one fun question I'd like to ask uh, everyone, this is, I feel like everyone's got a very different answer here, is uh, what's on your nightstand?
1: It's a really random question. <laughs> PG-13. Uh, pj no i mean it's pretty boring my answer i got a a bunch of books what kind of books i read a lot of biographies uh i like to learn from other people so a lot of biographies and then i think there's a few of those like i want to shoot myself in the head for saying this maybe like self-help books in there like the obstacles the way and things like that um but yeah books and then that's about it like honestly my girlfriend stuff like overwhelms everything else on her side and then it's like slowly crept over to my side as well
0: <laughs> as it usually happens Yes. Yeah, but
1: books books mostly
0: what is i mean why why does an actor in la want to read biographies is there like a purpose to it or is it just because you enjoy the time and you disconnect or are you learning anything from storytelling that comes from them
1: uh, i think it's twofold i read a lot of biographies from people in my industry and you can always learn from someone else and their story um i lead i read a lot of books people who are in sport because I just really like sport and the two industries are very similar actually in a lot of different ways and then third it lets me disconnect from things and also as an actor not just learn from their stories in terms of their career but literally read about different upbringings backgrounds and you never know when that's going to inform the choices you're making when coming up with a character
0: I used to read, uh, one of my favorite biographies was Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. that guy was just a fascinating individual. Yeah. Very turbulent in many ways, but I mean, the way he thought and the way he strategized, especially through Second World War. Yeah, and um,
1: a lot of the people who operate at any high level like that, as you know, are turbulent in their in their own ways.
0: I guess one of the questions, I mean, you, you hang out you know, with a lot of actors, a lot of people in entertainment. Is there a correlation between kind of a troubled mindset and then creativity or at least excellence in the in the field of the creative arts
1: yeah I mean yes yes the answer is yes there's a lot of different parts to that answer but I think the main thing is to be an actor you have to have this ego and a lot of people will deny this but you have to have a huge ego to want to do a profession where you're on camera and everybody is looking at you all of the time and you're the center of the show, you got to have an ego, right? But at the same time, whether you're aware of it or not, when you go in, you're putting yourself into a career where you're literally beaten down 24-7. So a lot of the time it's like you're the, the most important piece of shit in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you no have this like inferiority complex, but at the same, I always make a joke. Like an actor walks in a room, from what I know anyway, and if everyone looks at, at them, they go like, why the F is everyone looking at me? And if no one looks at them, they go, why is no one looking at me? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there's like that, that constant Jekyll and Hyde going on. Um, and I think a lot of the time, the rejection the um well you take things like substance abuse or whatnot right you always read stories and people in other parts of the world might go oh like miss guy in hollywood or girl in hollywood like they're all drug addicts alcoholics because they like to party so much but a lot of it there is a part of that but the other part is you're just beaten down so much and you're constantly told you're not good enough and that doesn't stop when people get to the top either. I know people who are like at the very, very, very top and they battle with the same thing every day. You're not relevant any longer. You're now too old. It could be any number of things. You're always just a hot commodity until you're not.
0: I mean, how does someone, and I'm backtracking a little bit, how does someone that was born and raised in Scotland, uh, you know, play football, like, why would you even want to come here? in the first place like where did this i
1: didn't i didn't it was by total chance i um i fell into acting Mm -hmm. it's literally one of those stories where you'd be like that's not true but it really is it started off too good to be true where i was driving my car and rear-ended someone and that someone was a casting director no way for a tv show oh my god and they said they're looking at me and they're like and i'm apologizing and i'm all frazzled and i was just being myself i'm 17 at this point um and they're like do you want to come for an audition have you ever acted and I said no and they're like do you want to come for an audition I said no (laughs) and and then they were like well if you change your mind like I'm a casting director I didn't even know what a casting director was and uh, I went home and I told my parents the story and it was my dad and I owe essentially moving across the world my entire career to him in that moment and beyond for his support but it was him who was like oh like you don't have the balls to go to the audition and i was like what do you mean He was like at the worst case it's going to be a hilarious story so i was like you know what like i'll go and i went and i didn't learn the lines and i showed up and i lost my place and i apologized and i started again and everyone was laughing at me and i got the part for amazing. like whatever reason and what was it um it was a bbc show called river city It's like a long running, I guess it's considered a soap opera, but it's not like, I feel like that has a negative connotation. It's not like the soap opera is here. It's like a little more grounded, but it's like on every Tuesday night, you know? Um, So I went in, did two episodes and then got kept on for another couple and another couple and another couple until I was like, I guess I'm an actor now and i really enjoyed it but i was flying by the seat of my pants and i was acting in terms of like i was learning the lines but the character was very much me I was then doing a play and got linked up with this american guy who wanted to speak to me after the show just to say a good job and that's very common and he was like where did you train and i told him the story uh, that i didn't train i'm just like naturally gifted you know <laughs> and like blah blah like just nonsense and he was like You're flying by the seat of your pants right now. This is a craft, yada, yada. You should come train at my school. And my time on the show was coming to an end at that point. I was like, what's the catch? What's the school? He's like, it's Stella Adler Academy of Acting in Los Angeles, which is a very prestigious place that I had never heard of. And um, I was like, well, how much is it? What's the catch? And they offered me a full scholarship and I packed my bags and saw it as a ticket to Los Angeles.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's the most quintessential creative story. It also
1: is plain sailing. It wasn't too plain sailing after that, but, <laughs> but up until that point, it, it it was very lucky.
0: It's crazy
2: that you um, rear-ended a guy into a career. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. Quite literally hit somebody's car and now you're an actor. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so between between then and now, like, what's happened? Like, what are some of the highlights... What are some of the more difficult times? How have you handled the past, you know, two and a half years, three years where productions were shut down, there was no acting, there was no movies being made. We're all locked up. Um, What were some of the good and bad moments?
1: I thought I was on this trajectory just because like the luck I had had with everything I just described. And then I graduated from school and that was a whole learning process. Like I went from football, soccer locker rooms to like an acting class where you're doing movement and literally having to pretend you're a tree. And I just, that took a long time to change my psyche, um, and really blend into the group and not have this preconceived judgment of everyone. And I graduated and I was like, here, I got it. I got reps and I was like, here we go, like gonna become a movie star literally because i was so young at the time as well i was just like it's the upward slope and then all of a sudden like you get an audition for x-men right and it was my first audition in the u.s was for, X, just was crushing for it. x-men right and i'm like Pfft, easy right? <laughs> so and i show up at the fox lot and i go on and you you go into the waiting area it's so weird talking about that because you don't really do that anymore with since covid and i saw all these guys that i recognized from like watching movies when i was younger and then all of a sudden it's like pressure like, imposter syndrome yeah you know yeah, yeah it's like holy like that guy's that guy's been in a bunch of movies that like <laughs> i saw in the movie theater and i'm like, winging it and i'm winging it like <laughs> i shouldn't be here and that lasts a long time and it happens over and over again because you you're a certain type where you see the same guys over and over again and they have you know they have these massive resumes And why would they look at me? And it starts to mess with your head before you go in. And I'm not saying I went in and blew the thing or anything, but I didn't probably have the confidence. Like, people can smell two things, lack of confidence and desperation. And they're the two things that put you off more than anything. And I don't think I had desperation, but there was certainly a loss of confidence. Not a lack of confidence, but a loss of confidence. And it took me a long time to to get over that so that was one of the main challenges I think also one of the main challenges was learning to completely be myself and not become a carbon copy of everyone else I think in Los Angeles specifically people come here and they may have been like the best looking person or the prom king. And then they come here and realize it's a city of prom kings (laughs) and they just think they have to sort of become the same mold and archetype as everyone else instead of just what's going to make you stand out is being yourself. And it took me a long time to learn that as
0: well. How do you become confident about that? Because I guess one of the questions I've asked myself um, as I develop my craft is, you know, everybody tells you be yourself, but what if being yourself is somebody that nobody likes? You know that's the question that I always kept coming to my mind. Maybe maybe I'm not differentiated enough. Maybe I'm not you know unique, or maybe I'm not fun or you know popular enough if I'm myself. So I'm just going to portray this other version of me uh, until I get exhausted. And Jim Carrey speaks about this all the time, like just having this character that you have to keep up.
1: Well, going back to one of the things you just said there, what if no one likes me? I think you have to be a real piece of shit for nobody. To like you. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I do think everyone has that narrative in their head, but I think to accept that you can be yourself is, you first have to understand who you actually are.
0: How and does somebody do that? How did you manage to do that? I mean, through, through this crazy journey. Of I think you do down. it
1: through tough, tough times, tough moments. I think that's what it really comes down to. I think it comes down to spending a lot of time alone. I always say like a big thing like when you move to a city and it makes it more expensive is you, you should try and live alone because nothing will make you get to know yourself better than that. Nothing will get, make you get to know yourself better than having a terrible day where everything goes wrong. You're told no, you're beaten down, you're, you know, whatever. And then you have to go back to an apartment, open the door and be alone the rest of the night and deal with that. You go back and there's, it's great to have roommates. There's an amazing thing to that, but like, it's an immediate distraction to what's really going on in here. Same as video games or TV or whatever, maybe to go home and like deal with that and stomach it. It's moments like that where you really find what you're made of, or it was for me anyway. And I, you know, moved across the world at 18 And I always, people will always say, is that not so difficult? That must be so hard. I was so young and naive that it was probably easier to do it at 18. But I also was still trying to figure out who I was. So every formative moment I had in becoming an adult from being a kid was like, before I met my girlfriend and before I lived with her, was all on my own. Every lesson I learned... I learned the fucking hard way and had, yeah, I had my parents who are in my life, ask them a question. But You don't want to do that all the time. First of all, there's a big time difference, as you know, and second of all, you don't want to worry them because they're going to over worry anyway for every little thing. They're parents. So you just got to figure it out on your own. And I think through all of that adversity and those moments and the bad days, everyone can have good days, but getting through the bad days is when you really find who you are, what your values are, who you want to be moving forward. Um, and as you know, also finding mentors who are just good people.
0: I wanted to touch that. It's actually one of the questions I, I had prepared for you, because I feel like you and I have had experiences where mentors have literally changed our lives. Um, not just in terms of advice and guidance, but also in terms of opportunities and opening doors and you know, a lot of the times people ask me, you know, how do you get mentors? Like how do you go and find mentors? You just call somebody and ask them, Do you want to be my mentor? Um, and I always try to tell them the way you find mentors is by not trying to find mentors. Right? You meet people that um are interesting, people that you want to emulate certain aspects of their life, uh, and you become, you know, a, a big a big part of their life or some somewhat of a a complement to their life. Um and and you try to provide as much value as you can. A lot of the times, these people are busier. They're further along their career than you are. They're older. And, you know, they don't really have the time. One of the best pieces of advice that a mentor of mine gave me was, nobody has time for you. Right. And it's the truth. And so instead of going out and asking and, and you know, looking for a mentor, you go out looking to, you know, be of service, to to try to help people. Like a lot of the times, this sort of bigger people – have things in their life they need help with even if it doesn't seem like so trying to figure that out has been very effective for me and and you know through that you build a very good relationship over the years and you develop trust and so on but i mean i guess for you like what has worked
1: i would just ask every single person act in my field actor director cinematographer editor didn't matter what part of my field they were in of my industry if they had one credit more than me on their resume, if they had more experience than me is what I'm trying to say, I immediately would ask them, can I grab a coffee with you and pick your brains or not even pick your brains? Can you just tell me your story? And I would, when I was at acting school, I'd be meeting like four or five different people a week after classes, in between classes, and just letting them talk at me. Mm-hmm. And I would learn a lot of information. A lot of those people would not become, what we would say, mentors or whatever. But every so often, maybe one in every 20, we would laugh. And they would see a part of themselves, I think, in me. And it could be a small thing. Or more importantly, we would connect on something that was actually nothing to do with what we were there to talk about. could have been soccer. could have been our favorite book, our favorite movie, whatever it may be. And when that connection happened, I found there would always be an offer from them at the end of like, "Here's my phone number. Here's my email. Pick up the phone anytime."
0: Yeah, here's a way to like reconnect. Here's the a way they would like to
1: continue to continue. Yeah. And it would always be very telling if that wasn't there at the end. Um, but I think them seeing a little bit of themselves in you is the key to that. Like you can't and you can't go there with an ulterior motive. You can't go there. I would always say I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for, like, anything from you apart from the hear your story. I would always preface it with that. Um, but it's also amazing to me the amount of people who don't do that. At the acting school that I studied at, they would have super well-known alumni come in and give talks all the time. And most of the time, whether they meant it or not, they would say at the end, if anyone has any questions, feel free to come up and ask me at the end. And 99 out of 100 people would go up and ask them for a fucking photo. I
0: think people have social I, anxiety probably. Not like, enough to afraid. not ask them for a
1: photo that they can post oh. on Instagram or Facebook at the time.
0: Maybe, Maybe it's just easier to have those surface level questions than to ask something more meaningful or personal.
1: I would always go up and say, can I like pick your brains? I know you're super busy. And 85% of the time they would say yes. And then I would meet them and a connection would be made and... It just, you never know when it's going to come back around, especially in the industry I'm in, you know?
0: I think what I find is, uh, you know, I was lucky enough that one of my first mentors was the, I mean, the king of relationship building. But I think a lot of people just haven't had that training. They, they just have never been taught by their parents, you know, why relationships are so important, why they can change your life, why they can bring you opportunities and, why they can just enrich your life in general. And they either don't see the value or they're simply just not comfortable enough to go and make a new friend. Unless the situation is so obvious or you're with a group of people that are friends of yours and somebody else comes in. But like something is as cold as going to someone and being like, do you want to have a coffee?
1: But I think a lot of it comes from that self-inferiority that people have as well. Like, I think... They feel less than whoever that person may be. And instead of thinking, maybe the offer that that person made when they were talking on that stage is genuine. They really do want to help me. They think, why would they want to help someone like me? But if you don't ask, it's like the old analogy. If you don't ask, you don't get. My worst, my worst, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say no. If you're an actor, you better get ready for a bunch of no's. If you don't like a no, then you're in trouble
0: sure i mean it's true the fear of rejection but an interesting thing is a lot of those people come from that story of i got nothing i want something so they come to la they uproot their life from whatever in the country probably smaller town they come to la they you know brave it up and then they get here but they don't actually make the moves they need to make so they've, they've gone through the effort of getting to la in the first place and then they just, they don't take the last step right? right. Um, because it, it's, I don't know, social anxiety is fear, like you said, of feeling less than. Um,
1: but so many people in Los Angeles, as you know as well, get stuck in this transactional way of dealing with people on a day-to-day basis. Their friendships are transactional. They're always trying to climb the ladder. There's always an ulterior motive, whether they're aware of it or not behind everything they're doing and when people get in that mindset they probably think in a situation that we we're just describing that they have nothing to offer that person that person has a lot to offer them so why would that person want to like engage with them when pr- maybe the person just genuinely wants to help
0: <laughs> you know let's let's take a quick turn um, there's one of the questions i i wanted to bring up given the events have happened in the last few weeks and it's related to AI. You and I have talked a little bit about this, but obviously this new technology is coming to, you know, eat the lunch of many roles in many industries, not just creative. Um, but it, for some reason, it seems to focus on creative, you know, creative copywriting, um, image generation, um, workflow. Like there's all these different areas in which we've seen a development, you know, build on top of the models that OpenAI have created. And um, how do you think, this technology is going to change things in your industry and not just not just you know writing scripts but let's take it further than that acting like creative idea generation
1: yeah like you just hit on one of the points right like yeah it could yes it could write scripts yes you could replace an actor's performance with ai Yes, you could replace an editor editing a film for AI to pick up exactly what it's meant to be doing and the sequence of the shots and yada yada and, and it could edit the movie. It depends on the technology, I suppose. There's a part of me though that just thinks, how well can it, how well can it work the nuances of the human condition? interesting like how well can ai really tell you everything's fine when everything's not fine and for you to read that on my face you know what i mean it can in theory do it but like it can't there's there's an energy between us when we're talking right now you're giving me a look and you're thinking about what i just said and you're like i can see the wheels turning in your head how well can it do that because that's really what human connection is
0: that's what the human condition is
1: and that's what actors are meant to be portraying on screen that moment right there that we just had
0: i guess you know my my follow-up to that was going to be how does hollywood remain human
1: by doing less marvel movies (laughs) (laughs) not. but like who am i to say that because if that's what you enjoy that's what That's what you enjoy. Well, what what is the story Um, that
0: ultimately a human wants to see?
1: Hollywood can remain human by consistently providing the audience member what the, the root of cinema is, is that whatever is going on inside of them that they may not be able to tell anyone or that feeling deep down that they can't even analyze what it is they see resonate on screen and it touches them in a way that nothing else has been able to. I feel... And I may be proven completely wrong and none of us will have a job in 10 years. I don't know. But I feel that only a human being sitting down and writing a script as of now and a director and actor interpreting that script can influence and touch an audience member that way.
0: So ultimately it's human stories for people.
1: Well, that's what acting is. Acting is the... It's not just learning the lines and showing up on camera. It's the analysis of the human condition and professional experiencing. It's being able to put something, embody feelings and emotions and wants and putting it out there for you to watch it and go, I know exactly what that is, what that feeling is. That's why certain movies change people's lives because they feel something coming off the screen coming from that actor coming from that scene whatever it may be that they felt inside for a long time and it affects them profoundly
0: Yeah, that applies to their yes to their own life experience exactly so rogers and i were running a quick game before the interview and we're asking chat gpt to prompt some questions for Creative people interviewed in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. What if I told you that some of the questions that I asked you today were actually designed by AI?
1: I would believe that. I don't think it would ask a question about itself, though.
2: (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) I just asked chat. uh, GPT. Thank you. uh, To write me a short, heartfelt story in five sentences. This is what it said. Go for it. There was a little girl named Lily who had a best friend named Sophie. They did everything together, but one day Sophie moved away and Lily was devastated. She would sit by the window and watch the kids play outside, wishing Sophie was there with her. One day, Lily received a letter from Sophie saying that she was coming back to town and Lily was overjoyed. But when she went to meet Sophie, she found out that she had passed away from an illness. The letter was the last thing that Sophie wrote before she died. Lily was heartbroken, but realized that Sophie would always be in her heart.
1: Pretty good. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of plot holes in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but yeah, it's pretty good for, you know, churning something out in a mil, in a millisecond. Yes.
0: It's good. One of the things I find, especially because we've been using it for marketing content, it's great for filler content. But there's right. no personality to it. Right. right? There's no there's a tone of edginess. Voice. Exactly. Right. Um, well, not quite. So you can have a tone. You can say, like, write this in a fun tone. Write this in, like, the tone of Elon Musk. Write this... But like, there's no quirkiness, there's no like, when somebody speaks for a long period of time, they make mistakes, Mm -hmm. and they say things they shouldn't, and they go too far down certain roads that they shouldn't. I mean, that's the human condition. Of course. And I think this thing is so polished in a way that it's soulless, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. You're saying it, it writes things in the tone of different people. You can
0: request it. You can say run in a funny tone. But how
1: right? far, okay, so, but devil's advocate, how far can you go with that?
0: Probably no further than what you would read in a tweet. Right. Right, because that's, at the end of the day, that's information it's consuming. It's not jumping into somebody's WhatsApp history with their mother.
1: Right, right.
0: So it's only really looking at the surface level of what they say publicly online. Um, but the, the idea is that these things are trained and they're simply. You know, modeling off something that's existed before. So there's no, there's no. I mean, my argument with this is there's no true original thinking because they're taking a bunch of data, they're ingesting, you know, 175 billion strings or parameters, mm. and then like they just come up with their own sort of combination of them.
1: How do you stop it from being biased in any way?
0: There are things that you can do that create uh, rail guards to to be able to maintain it within certain parameters. Um, there are rules that are implemented to say, you know, don't say anything offensive or don't say anything that's like, you know. But,
1: but human beings say things, that's, that's going back to what you just said, human beings say things that are offensive all the time.
0: Absolutely. Because, you know, they're, you don't have a filter or you feel like, oh, you have an emotion that prompts you to say something like that. Right. Which this thing doesn't have. Right. So maybe maybe that is the answer. Maybe the answer is that, you know, creative making has to be full of these mistakes and full of these errors and full mm-hmm. of these things that, speak human condition and if it's just too polished if the story is just too obvious which we've seen in some movies i mean some movies just have no depth um then that's that's the proof you know this thing cannot go beyond that
1: i feel like i'm asking you questions now because you know more about this than i do how far are we now then from that technology being implemented into i don't know everyday life like uh, what i mean by that is the Boston Dynamics robots Robot. from that being put into one of them.
0: I guess it depends on what you're referring to, you know, how specific it is. I mean, the uh, thermost- something
1: that clean like literally like about like a Roomba, right? Let's just take that for example.
0: A Roomba is a very easy application. Roombas have had some form of AI um, for a long time because it's a very narrow and specific field. Right? They have a series of commands and they work within guardrails um that is specific AI. that's something that is specifically trained to perform this one thing if you're thinking of like how far away from something emulating the the human brain like who knows people say two years people say you know a decade people say never um i don't quite know because i think that i think the discussion has to be in what are the what makes us human what about our minds really makes us human and once we get very clear on that then we can say well this is and this isn't
1: right right uh,
0: i think right now we're all still trying to discover what that is um and especially when these things come up it starts to question like what makes you you um when this thing can be you know ingest you know thousands of line of speech that you've written down or you know whatever stories you've written down and then pretend to be you right at that point how do you tell the difference right um I, I think it's gonna be incredibly interesting and i think some There's people a are of funny
1: things like if you wrote um write me a story about a a character from scotland who comes from a middle-class background and it writes you a story but at the same time like so that's me i come from a middle-class background but my family comes from a very working-class background so although we had everything we needed and a nice home and my brother and I got all the things that we wanted and toys at Christmas and all that stuff. It was always still very much like you got to work hard and you're lucky to have a roof over your head. Like how much of that can it implement into a character it's creating that's like seeped into me. And that's the way I'll raise my kids as well. You know know what I mean? It's those little things. I'm like, can it ever fully
0: get it? I don't know. I don't know. I think AI, it's educated based on what's happened before. Right. And it's trying to make assumptions to make future decisions based on that. I guess for us, we're also conditioned by our memories, which in a way is the data we hold. Right. Um, Now, who makes better decisions? Depends for what.
1: Me. (laughs) (laughs) you Always me.
0: Okay, I've got one last question. Okay. I'm going to wrap up. So, what is one idea or opinion that you think the majority of people get wrong.
1: In my industry or in general?
0: Let's say about your industry.
1: I guess it applies to both actually. Making it as an actor is not what 99% of the world thinks. A lot of people think you haven't made it until you're on a billboard or a poster or any of that stuff. That's ridiculous. That's like saying you are only Lebr- made it if you're LeBron James or the- in the NBA. If you're a working actor and you can pay your bills currently or have been able to pay your bills for a long time through acting, you're already in the top 0.5% in the world. Talking about people who come from community theater backgrounds, and that could be anything, editing, directing. If you're making money doing it, you're in the top 1%. You've already made it. Now it's just about maintaining that. You haven't made it if you're Leonardo DiCaprio. That's Michael Jordan. And the reason I say that is I get this that comes from a place of self experience because back home where people don't understand the industry, I feel like maybe there's a chip on my shoulder. I'm now getting, I'm now getting off my uh, chest, but if they haven't seen what you've been in, if they haven't seen the movie you've done or whatever in the past six months, you're not doing anything, but it's like, no, I'm, I paid my bills for the past six months, the past year, through those acting jobs I did. That's, I've made it for now. Can't say in five years, time or 10 years, but as of right now, I'm making it. I'm where I've always wanted to be. And if I end up on a billboard and famous and all that stuff, then great. But if I wanted to be famous, i go on TikTok and do four a day. You know, like I have no interest in it. I have interest in doing what I love and being able to pay my bills and have a family and take care of them through doing what i love because ultimately that's what makes me happy and all of our goals is to be happy that's it that's a great way to end dude thank you beautiful motivation for you (laughs) your week. thanks (laughs) for joining us today
0: man. really appreciate it
1: thank you for
2: having me declan where can we find you uh after this podcast
1: tiktok uh no uh yeah social media twitter instagram uh literally tiktok even though i just made a joke about it At Declan, my first name, D E C L A N, M for Michael, layered L A I R D.
0: Go and hit that like button. (laughs) Thank
1: you guys.